All right, and welcome everybody back to the EM Over Easy podcast. I am Andy Little, joined by Drew and John. Guys, yeah, hello. good day. And we have two amazing guests, George Willis. What's up? <laughs> welcome. Thank you guys for coming. I appreciate you inviting me. Yeah. And Rodney Fulmer. Always happy to be back. Thanks, guys. So we are recording this live and in person, but I... Andy, every time we record, it's live because cause we are actually doing the recording. I mean, I don't know if you realize that we are not chatbots. So I actually said that on purpose because I haven't gotten a Drew reaction on saying it's live and in person in a while. And my part of my soul the was... The person part, I totally... I'm with you because as opposed to virtually recording live, right, where we're using some type of video conferencing function, we are all actually at the same place. It is good to know that you still have the same vitriol for when I use that phrase. My vitriol for you is strong. <laughs> so let's talk about this idea of doing more by doing less. And so this came across in some of my readings in the last year. Um, it kind of goes along with an episode we recorded last year, which was saying no. And I do want to like let the listeners know, Drew and I talked a lot about saying no. And then I think within, what, a week, we both got an opportunity that we had to say yes to, even though we had both committed to say no to things for like a while. So we were good for a week. And then, of course, that happened. I've been good. I think we've been good since. Right? Drew's giving me this dead stare. Oh, uh, sorry. I was trying to do less. Okay. So I wasn't speaking for a moment. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah. I'm, You're feeling guilty is what you were. I am very I'm, interested in this conversation. So doing, doing less and saying no are related topics, but actually very different mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So I'm going to let you continue to dive us down this path. But yes. So I think the question is when you hear the phrase doing more by doing less, like what comes to mind? I'm sorry. Yeah. So the word efficiency would be the first thing that comes to my mind is if I'm doing less, but doing more vice versa, I think efficiency is a word I think of is the first thing that pops into my head. Yeah. But I don't know if that's always the truth per se. So it's a good point. I'm a, the first place my brain went to was depth and breadth. So doing a lot lets you explore, I think, and maybe is in my head kind of a, when there's something new you want to learn about or you're trying to expand your areas of interest. But what I personally had a challenge with and probably still do, but have just got better tools to cope with was I would stretch myself so far to explore new areas that I never really let myself get deep into the things that I was very interested in. And so I think that's for me where the doing more by doing less, it's doing more in the things you love by doing less of the other things. I think that's probably the most important thing. You know, one of the things that I have found, especially doing a lot of this medical education and things, is that there are lots of times, especially towards the beginning of a career, where we're like trying to do more and be more of an impact for our learners and for other opportunities. And even clinically, we're trying to do more. But what I have found more commonly that happens, especially as you get towards the point of my career where I am, I'm going to say old, (laughs) certainly, yes, I certainly looked at, there you go, tenured. I find myself oftentimes now coming back to the whole saying no thing, saying no, because I want to do less because the things that I want to do more of are the things that are very important to me, spending time with my family, spending time with my wife. You know, I sometimes now bring her to conferences where I didn't do that before, but even clinically, I really kind of feel like I'm a little bit more of that kind of old school attending who actually goes and does a good history and physical and isn't the one who relies on lab tests or imaging studies to kind of do more. It's more what's 
clinically indicated. And this concept has become extremely much more important now, especially as we see medical bills are increasing and climbing and medical errors are getting worse because people feel, oh, I'm I'm scared. I'm medically obligated to do more when you don't really have to. When I was building the outline for this, I came across a question. And the question was, if you could make a list of all the things you do and take a third of them away, but enjoy everything that's left on the list, would you do it? Absolutely. And I think all of us would say, like, let's, what's a third of things I can do that where, because there are a lot of things that we say yes to that we do because it's part of our job or because somebody convinces us it's part of our job. We don't maybe enjoy doing it. But if you could take a third of the things on your list and just get rid of them and then just enjoy everything else that you do. Did it? Highly recommend you up that number to half. <laughs> no joke. This was actually a, a big learning point for me. And I worked with a coach on it. By the way, if you, you know, you really should do that. Like it's really fun to work with somebody that it, it's kind of like, you know, like a financial advisor, how they have your interest in mind. If you've picked the right one, a good coach, right. is the same thing. So I worked with a coach on this because I constantly had this feeling that my plate was full overflowing on the tablecloth, screwing up the table, now hitting the floor. And I felt like I was just always reaching. And one of the very first things we did, one of my very first homework assignments was to actually list all the things you're doing, kind of that white paper, blank brain approach. And anything that was in your brain that you were responsible for or felt like you were responsible for, whatever, list it. And I felt physically ill about halfway through the exercise, just looking at the things that I either in my head thought I was or had put myself into a position to be or whatever. And I will tell you, it's an incredible question and it's an incredible thought exercise, but it's an even more incredible thing to do. I love and And I'll tell you, one of the most enlightening things for me was when I left my old job and moved to my new job is this perception of busyness. And it's so enlightening to hear you say that because that's something that I probably should have done at my old job. And what actually helped me come to that realization was my family. So I get to Texas, to San Antonio, and I feel that my administrative job and my clinical job together keep me very busy. And I had been there for maybe six months to eight months. And My wife was like, you know, you're home a lot more than you were when you were at Maryland. I'm like, no, I'm not. And my both of my sons were like, no, dad, you're home way more than you were when you were at Maryland. And I was like, holy crap, (laughs) I must have been doing way more at Maryland than I thought I was. And then I get to Texas and I get this new job and I haven't gotten up to that I guess you could say level of responsibility, even though I have a very high administrative responsibility now, but I'm I'm actually doing much less than I was when I was at Maryland. And it's shocking to me because I feel as busy, (laughs) but my family from an outside perspective actually feel like I'm home a lot more and I'm less busy. They're your life coach. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And a great one to have. Yeah. So when Andy talked about this a little bit, like I started thinking about kind of what you were saying. I don't have a quote life coach, but to reference like prior talks about here of having your boardroom and people at this table will tell you that I have reached out to my boardroom within the last 
six months because I was getting to a place that I didn't like the person I was becoming. I didn't like the person I was becoming at work with my patients. I didn't like the person I was becoming at home with my wife, my family. I just didn't like that. And I needed to do a complete gut check. And so I really tapped into my boardroom people at this table about that. And like, I did a pulse check of like where I was. So six months ago, if we would have recorded this, I would have been a huge Debbie Downer on this because I was in a dark place. And I know that a lot of us have gone through that similar process. So I don't particularly have a life coach, but I think my boardroom really helps keep me in check and was like, maybe you need to do less, like, or how can you do less? And like, how, like, really did an outside, like where your family, George, was your gut check of like, oh, okay, there was definitely something that I should have been looking at. So yeah, I remember meeting with John before I I took a new job, was moving from uh, just a director of research to an associate program director job. And I met with John because John had been an associate program director for four years. And uh, I sat down, I said, look, here's my responsibilities. And John goes, okay, nothing else on your plate. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, say no to everything else. And I remember being John's junior faculty member when he would became the associate program director. And at the time being like, why isn't John doing more? He's like, he's a associate program director. He should be doing more. And then now that as an associate program director, I'm like, the best advice I ever got from John was, this is all you're going to do. And they're going to bring things to your table and say, hey, can you help with this? And be like, I'll go to a meeting, but I'm not doing anything. Like, no, I'm not doing extra thought process. I'm not he says, you got other people that are do the work. And so kick those jobs to other people. And it was life-changing for me because, again, when I moved to Florida, my family noticed that I was home more despite having more responsibility. And it's because I just realized that I just need to do the job that I've got really, really well rather than trying to be in every room and be a part of every creative process. And, yeah, it, it's been revolutionary. Well, it can be the hard part. The hard part sometimes is you, you're in a leadership role or you have multiple leadership roles, as I think all of us at the table do, is you feel as – sometimes fires come up that you should be part of the the work group putting out the fire. And then you have to check yourself and go, but I don't have to be part of putting out every fire, right? Let me focus. And I liken it to a scatter plot with a bell curve, right? So you got all these scatters, but you got to get rid of the, the top and the bottom quartile and focus on where the focus is. And that's really what it comes down to in the less is more concept in my mind, which is where's my focus, right? So John, a year ago, almost, introduced me to another opportunity at our system, actually a system opportunity in simulation. Well, I'm already doing simulation for the EM program. I've actually been already doing a lot of it, but kind of formalized a role. And so is it more? Yes, but it's also within the bell curve of focus. So it wasn't as if it takes all this extra bandwidth for me to take on a new role and a new responsibility. It really was actually allowing me to focus in on some things. And then the question is, can I get rid of a little more on the periphery, on the the scatter plot that isn't in that center peak on my bell curve. Yeah. And a fine job you've done of it too, but it's that depth thing, right? Because you do kind of have to give yourself, it's what I like to call advanced standing, almost the college idea, right? Advanced placement credit. You already had that, for example, in SIM. And so it wasn't like you were, oh, you know, now we want you to be this other type of director where you have to learn this new skill. And maybe people are at a point in their career where they, they want to do that. Sometimes it's actually very refreshing to expand and do something new. I think the difference is, and I think George hinted at earlier is there's a difference between doing that with intent. It's the intent. It's taking on an extra job because you feel like it's an expectation or it's a work responsibility or whatever, you know, and I think that's probably what had happened at your previous job. There were a lot of things that had 
probably by your own design, to be honest, made their way onto your plate because there was something you had. But the problem is, once it gets on the plate, no one is very naturally good at getting off the plate. And it's not like that auto-enrollment idea, right? Once you're in, it just stays. So yeah, that intent is just so important. And as we look at ourselves as all of us in an academic structure, right, as you're a junior faculty coming up, I mean, one of the things you do is collect jobs. And it's what actually people encourage you to do. You have to say yes. You can't start off your job as junior faculty saying no. You have to say yes, 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 yes. But when you stay at the same institution in the same role, it's exactly what John said, hard to shed. And then you do something like George did, and you actually move now to being really a more senior role at a new institution, and you've shed automatically the peripheral stuff that maybe you didn't even realize you were doing anymore, right? Like it's like subconscious, you just, you had it, and so you kept doing it. And I do have to say, I appreciate John being one of those mentors, is he's helped get me to shed a few things, or at least make sure I'm not continuing to collect, because at this point, you can't continue to collect. And the second part of that is, as you gain that focus and depth, you become much more efficient at doing your work, because you're not doing lots of different things spreading across the spectrum. You're focusing in on a more narrow part of the spectrum that you become actually proficient at doing. So it takes less bandwidth, it takes less energy, it takes less time to do it, but you're doing it really well. You're high functioning in your area of expertise. And so that is really less time, but better. Yeah. So, and you're hitting to a lot of the points of a lot of what we hear about job responsibilities is quality over quantity. And it's about the quality of the job as opposed to the number of jobs that you have to do. The thing that I've learned over these years is that mentoring is a really great way to shed those responsibilities that you don't necessarily want to hold on to. Because why do we hold on to things? What do we, what do we hold on to these things for? A lot of times it's because we think, well, nobody's going to do it as good as I can. Nobody can do it as well as I can. It works as well as it does because I'm in charge of it. And then when you hand off that responsibility, you, you're like, no, 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 I don't want to give it to this person because I don't think they're going to do as good of a job as I can. But instead of saying, here, take this responsibility, don't mess it up. You say, I'm going to show you how I do it. You might actually do it better than me. And then that grows them as an individual. And now you have a mentor-mentee relationship that has one gotten something off your plate. And now two also gives them some opportunity for growth. Because remember, we're all getting older and more experienced and closer to retirement. Exactly. Can we we stop using the old, (laughs) we're getting more tenured. And I don't mean tenured in an academic professorial way. (laughs) Although that's nice too. That is nice too. But but tenured in our experience and our capabilities, because that's truly what that word means. Right. Absolutely. And so as a result of that, tenure. <laughs> he keeps looking at me as I have less hair in my head. Yeah. And a, and a we're gray all getting beard. more gray hairs yeah. as we do this. But as we go along in these years, eventually one day we're going to retire and those responsibilities are going to retire with us. Hang on, George. You heard about student loans, right? right. We're going to retire. <laughs> who, who are, no, well, because kidding. ultimately what you, what you don't want to be, and Ronnie, interesting, we were having this conversation as we were out running the hills of Arizona this morning, is you don't want to be the person that your institution, your program, your department, whatever, hinges on. If somebody looks at you and can say, if you were not here, there is a void. As opposed to, if you are not here, not that you're not valuable and wanted and an essential part of the operation, but that you want to be in some ways replaceable because that means you have a team around you that you support and supports you, right? You can't be a one-man show. The phrase that I use is important but not essential. 
You're important because you do a good job, because you're a quality person, you're a good human being. And part of being a great leader is building the team around you so that when you get hit by the bus on the way in the front door, the whole place doesn't just come crashing down, right? If you care about it enough to do the job, you should care about it enough for it to last after you're done doing the job. So I think that the point to probably drive home there is, is that you actually don't want to be the employee that thinks you're replaceable one because you are right. Cause everybody is. And then also it's good to do your job at such a way to where people can literally your desk and find everything you were doing and just say, Oh, this is what Andy was doing. Let's just keep doing it. And then also when, when you mentioned like giving away roles, uh, as someone who's given away some roles in the last, you know, six to eight months, I was originally like really worried about it. But then I realized is that as long as it gets done, I actually don't care how it gets done. And maybe that's a bad way to look at it, but it's the, as long as it gets done and we meet the requirements, it's going to look different. It might act different, but it's getting done. Well, you, you care about the quality of the product, but not how the product is made, right? I mean, there's lots of ways to make the same soup. Sausage. And it might, I prefer sausage. Sausage. <laughs> prefer sausage. But that's the hard part. And that goes into us becoming more tenured individuals is that we realize when you're starting off, you think that there's only one way. And it's either the way that you were taught or it's the way that you have developed into doing it. And now I think we've all had the opportunity of perspective and experience to say, you know, there's a lot of ways. What we care about is the quality of the result in the end and how you get there, relatively indifferent. Yeah. Sounds a lot like teaching a senior resident, right? When they come up with a plan that's perfectly acceptable and 100% not the way you would have done it. And you let them do it and help them through it. Even though there is no way you would have approached that situation that way, you realize that it's a reasonable approach, even if it isn't your approach. And then at the end, you say, hey, you know, if I were to have done this, this is what I would have done. But we came to the same conclusion. Right. No way for me to actually tell you that what I would have done is better. Right. It's just a different. And that's okay. Except my way was better. Yes. But it takes a lot of maturity to be able to do that and a lot of maturity to be able to, to gain that, that focus into what you're actually doing more with. So my wife actually, on this same vein, I was struggling with this a while ago. And she says, this is, if you die tomorrow, everything continues. This is not the Rodney Fulmer project. Like you are part of a team. And so it was a great perspective, a little morbid, but like, it was a great perspective of like, look, like you are part of this process. Like it's not the Rodney Fulmer program or this or whatever project you're working on. And so I've started to apply that to me of like, okay, Hey, wait, like, I don't have to do everything. I shouldn't be doing everything. And I need that team. And I love, George, your approach of this. Like, hey, let's mentor you. Obviously, Drew, you've been a reciprocal of Casey doing that to you. But. I had a big plate expansion yeah, courtesy yeah. of Casey. Now yeah. I'm working on, on the next step of the Casey project, which is a focused contraction. Which is a focused contraction. Yeah. Rodney, did you have someone sample your dinner that night? I should have, right? You? I, I know, Just to yeah. make sure. Your wife sounds incredibly smart and gifted and... That yeah, it was ironically just after we had re-upped your your term life insurance for an increased rate. <laughs> but I think to Rodney's point is that when we talk about like job satisfaction, what makes us happy in our career, the things that make me angry at work are actually the things I don't have to do. Like they're the things that I want to fix, but don't need to fix. And let's go down the morbidity like train for a second. I came across a really interesting short story, and they talked about how the seventy-two hours after you die, like what does your job do? And so if your boss was to find out that, you know, Andy Little died, he would call your spouse and tell him how sorry you were. Within four hours, they would draft an email to HR, notifying them of a position that would be available. The next day, they'd get a 
outline of your job. They would send flowers to your significant other for your funeral, and the job would be posted within three days. Like that's literally how important slash unimportant you are in the world of business because these things that we are a part of, hospitals, residency programs, they existed before we were there. They were just asked we were there. And to that point, the, the day after you left Ohio and you left Maryland, what happened at your departments and your institutions? You guys divvied up the work. They continued on, right? Now, was there gaps to be filled and movements to be made? Of course. But are they both operating institutions that are, have carried on without you? And that's not an insult at either of you because you are impactful, incredible people. But that's the way it is. And so approach your job and things you do outside of what make you happy that way, that everybody's replaceable. It's the whole mentoring part becomes super important because I actually put a person into place who I had been mentoring for that job. It actually became really easy. The transition was seamless. It was almost like I had been planning it for a while. <laughs> but that's the great thing about it, right? Is that passion we have for that and passing that on to our, our mentees. We know that it's in good hands and that also should give a, like less burden to how we feel like. We shouldn't have that burden. We shouldn't, yeah, you know, this person's going to take over and it may be a little different, but we know they have the skills to do it and the legacy continues of that. Rodney and George, just want to thank you for being here. This is an incredible conversation. There is so much more to talk about, which we have done some of. Recent episodes, including saying no, as well as building your board of directors, all contribute to the idea of less is more. Remember that we are the official podcast at the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Medicine Physicians, and we are live and in person at Spring Seminar hosted by ACOP in Phoenix, Arizona. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you next time.